Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce back in the hosting chair after a dose of parental leave. And a big thank you to Brittany Mitchell for stepping in and doing a stellar job in my absence over the past six weeks or so. Also to Lockie McCaffrey uh, pitching in with some insights out of Canberra, particularly around the Brumbies. Uh, you haven't heard the last of those two this year. They'll be back. But um, it's nice to be back with the old sparring partner, Christy Doran. Um, Christy, I've been listening on intently over the past few weeks in between changing nappies and uh, eating and sleeping. And, and that's not just mine, the babies too. Um, but um, mate, uh, what have I missed? What haven't you missed? I'll tell you what, you come back, Lockie McCaffrey goes, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll leave this one through to the key bar after his brummies get knocked over across in the West. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Lots to chew over. I'll tell you what, nice to see your face. Tell, tell us how, how's the first few weeks been since, uh, since the birth of your child? Mate, uh, slightly dramatic start. Uh, young Alexander, a little um, extended stay in hospital, but um, certainly uh, never in any great danger, which was fantastic. Uh, we got him home after about two weeks. And uh, yeah, he's sleeping really well. Uh, touch wood. Um, I won't share that with too many other mothers or fathers out there. Um, eating pretty well. He's a bit of a guzzler. Um, and mate, yeah, just uh, adjusting to, to life. Um, it was nice kind of, I guess, taking the analytical hat off in terms of watching a bit of rugby for the first time in, well, I guess, yeah, 10, 11, 12 years since I first started doing uh, the rugby coverage back at Fox Sports um, in sort of 2011. Uh, so I've enjoyed that, enjoying it from a, a fan perspective for a change. But I felt a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress switching it back on over the weekend, uh, but, but certainly happy to be back with you again, that's for sure. Uh, we all have to give out player ratings at times and it's not particularly fun. Tell us, give us a player rating of you with nappy changes. How Ella, is it any good? Yeah, look, I reckon I started off probably about a four or five, and now I'd like to think seven and a half, eight. Um, it's uh, when you bring in the the sleeping bag, which is a, just a fantastic development in in infant uh, slumber. I must say, from my relatively limited experience, that um, you get them in there and they they can't kick themselves out. What I will say, I'm horrendous at is the swaddle which, uh, mate, I'm sure you've got in your future something to look forward to. It's like wrapping up a, a little burrito, um, as the nurses keep telling you, but something in my mind doesn't click or you're worried about doing it too <laughs> tight or have you got it too loose? Um, so, yes, Alexander was doing his best to wiggle out of a, a swaddle every night. So we're really impressed with the transition to the sleeping bag. Congratulations, uh, mate, anyway. Yes. Thank, you, thank you very much. And thanks to everyone out there who either reached out privately or on uh, on social media. Um, with uh, with well wishes, really appreciated, and um, yeah, certainly great to be back here talking uh, a bit of footy, a bit of code with you all. And mate, as you said, there's absolutely no shortage. I met him while I was off. I think about a, a CEO uh, departure or a looming departure. We've had player signings, movement uh, here, there, and everywhere. A lot of which you've been breaking. Nick White, the big one that springs to mind, obviously moving west along with um, a couple of others and, and potentially one or two to come yet. Um, a Reds win and then certainly dropping back down to more of what we've seen from them this year. But let's start with, I guess, it's something that's been honed into on the weekend really, isn't it? This this idea around player rests. And we know it was going to happen um, at the start of the season. It's been a problem. It seems like not just in World Cup years in the last few years, um, certainly in New Zealand, this idea of, of player rest weeks um, between both the Wallabies and All Blacks players and just taking a bit of the gloss out of the week-to-week -week regular season of, of Super Rugby Pacific. I guess we saw it a little bit last week with the, the Chiefs suffering their first loss with uh, having rested uh, Brady Viritalik, Brad Weber, um, Samasoni Tokayaho and Sam Kane, I think, all had the week off and, and the Reds were, were too good and thoroughly deserving of their victory. But from an Australian, I guess not from, uh, differently from an Australian perspective, on the flip side, the Brumbies doing the same thing, but but resting a few more players, uh, not sending them across to the West, where I, I thought this was a danger game for the Force, even, sorry, for the Brumbies even before that. Um, I, I really feel Simon Cron's blueprint is coming into its own over there in the West, um, we mentioned the players they're going to bring on board next year, but the Brumbies and certainly Stephen Larkham's decision to rest um, a swathe of frontline Wallabies um, caught my eye. I tipped the force. I'm glad I did because they were superb. And the Brumbies, meanwhile, look like they may well have cost themselves a home semi-final, providing they won a home quarterfinal. Yeah, I'll tell you what, one of the unfortunate realities of tipping at the Raw is that on a Wednesday, you have to have them in by and 
Not sure if I would have gone. Tony Harper, that's got to change, mate. Come on. That's got, that's got to change. You're right. Anyway, um, without further ado, yeah, oh, look, this is a – the Brumbies have shot themselves massively in the foot here. Any hope of hosting a final by finishing in top spot, that's gone now. That's gone. You know, Even if they somehow beat the Chiefs this weekend, you, you suspect the Chiefs don't lose two matches in a row and three out of their last four leading into a finals – you know, the big challenge for them now is if they can finish in the top two. And that's certainly, uh, you know, with the Crusaders host, hosting the Waratahs this weekend, with the Tars likely to rest a couple of players themselves, they could well pick up a bonus point. Could be very difficult for the Brumbies to finish in the top two. And, and that is so crucial because, you know, winning one final, uh, you know, they might host a quarterfinal, but if, if they get through that, to have to go back to back matches, probably across the ditch to, to potentially win. It's a huge, huge blow. And the thing that frustrated me out of all of that is hearing the rationale that this came in the decision making was last October, November from Stephen Larkin with the planning. At some point in time, you've got to go, you know what? We're in a chance to host like a final by finishing in the top two here. Um, those plans, they go out. You know, thanks very much. We'll put them in the scrap heap because it's not just from a um, the benefit of, of playing at home, not leaving Canberra. It's also the fact that extra gatekeeping. Uh, for a side that struggles to attract crowds, if you're hosting a semi-final for the first time in a long time, potentially hosting a final for the first time since 2004, you're thinking that you're going to get your best crowd in a long, long time. So even before you you, you bring up the, the lack of, like the injustice to the competition and the integrity issues with it and charging people the same rate when you're seeing a second side show up. It's just a terrible lack of judgment, I think, when it comes to bringing out your best team and, and ensuring you get victory at this late stage of the year. Integrity's been the big word, hasn't it? Because it's we know it's not just the Brumbies. We mentioned the Chiefs. Brums obviously also sent a, an understrength team across the uh, Christchurch earlier in the year and we kind of at the time said yep we can see the reasoning in that because you're probably more likely to win the following week I can't remember who it was but that was the game against the Aussie derbies are important aren't they particularly for Stan uh, the broadcaster in this market as are the Kiwi derbies in New Zealand with Sky and I know the Hurricanes uh, Artie Sevilla had a spell on the weekend against the Chiefs I think and um, Geordie Barrett as well so it's an ongoing problem. It's not Australia-centric. It's not New Zealand-centric. It's a it's an overarching issue for Super Rugby Pacific. And I guess, you know, there's there was the criticism from Wayne Smith around referees last week. Justin Marshall, I, I noted today um, on SEN and Z, um, saying he switched off the Crusaders game and and watched the. I think it must have been the Dragons and Roosters because I must admit I was doing the same thing. And um, they obviously got issues around Moana Pacifica. Uh, looking like they could go through the season winless. Aaron Major has stood down, so they're going to be on the lookout uh, for a new coach uh, joining the Blues, Hurricanes and Crusaders in New Zealand in that same boat. So, um, yeah, and I guess it's this feeling that this competition can never perhaps reach its potential if it's always going to have the overarching Wallabies and All Black storylines hanging over the top of it, isn't it? Like we know the draft is probably unlikely to happen purely because of that. But um, I'm, I mean, surely there's got to be some, you know, learned people get around the table and work out how do we avoid what we've seen this year, whereas where a number of teams have rested, you know, players and, and virtually turned, you know, what should be really um, even uh, keenly fought out contests into games that have, have just um, been pretty limp. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the force on the weekend because as you and I were talking yesterday, I can't remember a, a Western force performance with more commitment, more execution of skill. Um, I thought they're passing, they're kicking Max Bury, um, obviously coming yes. through the sevens um, system. I thought it was a fantastic, certainly first 20 minutes and the way they survived that mini Brumbies revival and then went again and just really managed that second half really well. Their first 20 minutes was outstanding. Yeah, it really was. And and even with the Brumby side that has their Wallaby-laden team in there, um, uh, the force just outplayed the Brumbies. And, and they did that also because of the fact that there was an ill-disciplined nature to the, to the Brumby side. So um, 
you're right. You don't take it away from the force. They are building. You're right, Simon Cron's fingerprints are over it. I think they'll continue to get better. Are they a super threat this year? No, they're not. But they're a side that's unbeaten at home, and that should not be taken away from them. It's a fair play. But I completely agree regarding, you know, the lack of integrity to it because even the Waratahs going across, I think it was the Blues earlier in the year, and Yep. And they just struggled, and you knew at no stage were they in the game. It was just a one-sided affair, which people started losing interest in 20 minutes into it. It wasn't helped by the fact that the Taz had a couple of guys out of form, but they are now weighing up what they do the next two weeks uh, in the in the lead into the finals because, yes, you don't want to lose momentum, but with the finals only three weeks away, uh, the fact that they can't really move from sixth spot um, probably because they, they should win that that last game against Moana Pacifica at home, but also the fact that the, I think it's the Hurricanes are six points are clear of them, and the Reds are, are about seven or eight points behind the Waratahs at the moment, so in, in the seventh spot. So they are in a probably a unique position, uh, but 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 it, it is. It is extraordinary what we're seeing over the last couple of months in terms of players coming in and out. And, I, and I've got to say, I don't actually have an issue with players being rested. I think some players play too much. I think young players particularly play too much. I think Max Jorgensen probably needs a break. He's started the last seven games and he's an 18-year-old. We've seen For sure. We've seen players at the time get burnt out because they haven't been managed correctly. But the issue is, rather than managing one or two players throughout each week or every second week, you can't just be resting half your team or three-quarters of your team. And funnily enough, we've actually seen Leinster pay the price probably by losing a week earlier against Munster by doing that to prepare for uh, European Championship Cup final where they ended up losing anyway. So um, it is littered with danger and the Brumbies will be ruining uh, a missed opportunity, and I can't imagine that too, there'll be too many survivors because you could probably count on your hand the amount of players that probably stepped up. I thought Darcy Swain had a pretty good game. Corey Tool had his moments, but apart from that, there there wasn't wasn't many things to take away from that that you'd be particularly pleased with if you're a Brumbies coaching structure or indeed a fan. Not at all. I think uh, Laurie Fisher actually perhaps, you know, making reference to that on Twitter saying a mistakes made on the field and off it. So and a little tweet on uh, on yesterday uh, on a bit of a search um, following that match. Now, um, just on the force, uh, we've spoken about who they've got coming next year, but also I guess this year getting not only Bury, um, Carlo Tizano back from from overseas uh, playing in the, the championship in England with Ealing Trailfinders. Um, I, I must admit, I don't watch a lot of the championship, let alone um, the premiership. I, I watched the the semis, minis, and I'll probably watch the final this weekend. But he seems to, certainly what we've seen in the last couple of weeks since he's been back is he looks not a different player, but a more well-rounded player, um, getting it done on both sides of the ball. I think he made 24 tackles the other night. Um, obviously, Izzy Nicerani coming off the bench, he came back at the the same time, uh, I know you've been a big fan of Jeremy Williams this year. Um, he's really, really improving week to week, I think. So there's a lot of positive signs there for the force. Um, I think their run in is the Rebels um, away this weekend and the Chiefs at home. So you really think they perhaps need to to pick up a win on Friday night. But a repeat performance like that of Saturday night against the Chiefs in in that final round is, um, is certainly going to make a real contest of that one, providing the Chiefs, of course, bring their best team over. So um, I still think we're going to see a bit of a scrap for those that seventh and eighth position, aren't we? Which is which is good because otherwise, you know, a lot of these games over the closing two weeks could be a pretty tough watch. Oh, yeah. You can throw the drawer into that mix as well. But I think the force will front up. They'll shape that. There won't be any resting of players. And indeed, I think Isaac Rotto's, very close to returning. He might come back this weekend, which would be a huge addition. Whether or not he plays, you know, from the start, off the bench, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is, he's a huge inclusion. Uh, extremely experienced, World Cup behind him, started 29 of his 32 tests, I think it is. So um, a big one there. Some other signing news, which 
hasn't been announced, only just recently done, Harry Potter, the Leicester winger, is going to be wearing the Force jersey next year. So that's not been written. I haven't actually typed it up yet, but I do plan on, on that later on this afternoon. Uh, a good addition for him and a guy that actually had, had conversations with Eddie Jones whilst he was still, uh, whilst Eddie was still the England coach and he was very close to making his debut uh, last year, um, a guy that is now a, a, an English Premiership winner, but he's also a regular try scorer in the in the, in the English competition. Some other news now you mentioned that uh, certainly reports that Luca and Selakai Loto, who we both bemoaned the departure of, um, I guess uh, about midway through last year, wasn't it? Or certainly towards the tail, probably this time last year, really, when he um, was out of favour at the Reds, um, coming back and looking yeah. like the Re- Rebels. Is that your understanding? It is, and that was, I think, or I believe it was officially signed today. Uh, it was last Wednesday I heard about this, and at that point in time there was a strong, um, it wasn't necessarily a verbal agreement, but both parties were aligned. Uh, I think Luca and his family, young family, wanting to come back to Australia is probably the big reason behind yeah. that. Uh, but that's a huge addition, and he'll come back firmly into the World Cup reckoning because I just see parallels between him and Courtney Laws and I've always said it. If this guy gets fit, he gets his body right um, and and he gets his mindset right, he could be anything. And I think he's that guy that provides lock cover, but he's a six. Uh, That's where he featured prominently under Michael Checker uh, during those kind of 2018-19 campaigns. Um, I can see him coming back into the equation. Uh, whether or not he he kind of sneaks ahead of people like a Jed Holloway or a Ned Hannigan, it's going to be a Rob Leota. It's going to be a really competitive spot, that. And it might come down to whether or not Eddie Jones wants a big um, fix, a jumping fix, or does he want two kind of fetches and guys that go harder at it in a similar way that when he went in 2019 with Sam Underhill and, and, and Tonk and Tom Curry. So um, that both both news, I, I imagine, will be kind of being made official probably later in the week. That um, the Lucan one is is particularly a big one, I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned um, the uh, European Cup final, Champions Cup final, uh, featuring one Will Skelton, another player in that mix, and we'll come to that shortly. Um, but elsewhere in Super Rugby Pacific, I guess Saturday. You were there for the double header. Um, great afternoon. Looked like there was a, a fairly good roll up for the Wallaroos um, and that five o'clock kickoff against Fiji. We'll touch on that a bit more later. Rolling into, of course, the the Waratahs and the Drawer. And this was, I reckon, probably top five games of the season, wasn't it? In terms of intensity, uh, while the probably the Drawer's best away performance, I think you'd you'd have to say, perhaps without getting the win. Obviously, they were very good against the Brumbies about a month ago. Yeah, they were. Yep. Um, so I guess two really good performances here on Australian soil. Um, asked the Waratahs to make, I think, about 290 tackles or something incredible, which they did really well. New South Wales, and I'm sure Darren Coleman would have been wrapped with their uh, their tackling efficiency there at Alliance on Saturday night. But I guess it's hard to go past the performances. Or, and I guess the combination of of Max Jorgensen and, and Mark Norman Iduasi, wasn't it? You were there, you would have seen it firsthand. And you know, we, you and I often talk about it having that that wider view that you don't get on television by being at the ground for for a game and, and being pitch side is a just a wonderful aspect to to get a more uh, get a wider view of how guys are playing, how the holes they're running, and the ground they're covering. And and certainly, you couldn't have asked for any for much more than than Jorgensen on on Saturday night. Could you? Now you mentioned that he's likely to probably get a rest, and as an eighteen year old, I think everyone would agree that that's that's necessary to to nurture his body through this period. And he's probably played a little bit more than perhaps Coleman originally set out to do, but um, my goodness, I probably thought at the start or back in April there, when he was as part of Eddie Jones's training squad, that it was more about bringing him into the fold and and just seeing it, giving him that opportunity to soak up being part of that rather than with an eye on the world cup, but he's really ended that race at 15 now, hasn't he? Yeah. And look, injuries can, I was saying to someone earlier, there will be two or three big injuries before a World Cup squad and, and probably a couple of injuries even before the Wallabies take the field in Pretoria in early July. Uh, but 
Max Jorgensen, four, four tries, he put a, a real strong hand in a couple that he goes out across almost like a basketball kind of style pass to his respective wingers. But the work that he did with ball in hand to allow Mark Nunwee just to get a bit of space and then be able to free his arms was outstanding. And then we saw his pass to to um, Lange Gleeson late in the game as well. He's just a guy with instinct, isn't he? Like with the... He, if you call it rugby smarts and people go, well, what's rugby smarts? It's just an intuition of when to hold the ball, when not to, and timing and being in the right place at the right time. He's a guy that's got all those sorts of things in spades. I don't have him ahead of Tom Wright and Andrew Kellaway at the moment. And for that reason, I, I don't think he's going to a World Cup. And I think a, a, a junior World, a World Cup, junior under-20s would be a more appropriate yep. place at this time of his development where he can build combinations with Teddy Wilson, who I think will be named captain of the Junior Wallabies tomorrow. Um, but also guys like um, Jack Bowen too. And and these guys in the pathways are so important. And you look at the crux of that 19 side of England, uh, you know, Mara Toja and all those blokes that came through for the English under-20s team, you know, they didn't skip out and, and get rushed. They they paid in the pathway. So I, that's where I think he is at the moment. Physically, I'm not quite sure if he's, he can. That's yeah, the concern, yeah. Yeah, he's up there in terms of he's got such a good head on his shoulders and you can see it. But I just think physically, imagine him running into a Dwayne Vermeulen or whoever it might be, an Aldrich or uh, there's there's man mountains all across the world of, of rugby at the moment. But I just think that at the moment it might be one step too far, but it wouldn't surprise if he was in a squad or two, would it? Not at all, not at all. And certainly, uh, no one obviously signed that one-year deal last week as well, really backing himself to, um, to I guess, have a, have a big World Cup uh, and and next year and, and then with the Lions coming in 2025, really um, perhaps up his value with, I'm sure he's going to command some big offers from from places oh, yeah. like Japan, isn't he? Um, he well, France, England, wherever it is. He's, where, a, he's a great alpha right. tell, tell me, Tell me, Brucey, who's your... What's your back three for the Wallabies if everyone's fit and available at the moment and maybe your, your 22 and 23 jersey? Good question. I, I really think that it's hard to go past Corin Betty on the left and, and Mark Norganidawasi on the right. Um, I've probably got Tom Wright just ahead of Andrew Kellaway at fullback at this point in time, um, but it's splitting hairs, I think. I think you saw um, Kellaway. There's a parts of Tom Wright's game that, Still concern me, probably not as much as they did last year. Um, defensively, I think he's got a, a poor decision in him there at the back and really liked, obviously, Andrew Kellaway's work to get back and deny James Lynch's that try oh, yeah. with a stellar play. It wasn't enough for the Rebels in the end, was it? But, um, yeah, just a piece of defensive brilliance there. So, look, that I, I'd probably, if you had to put me on the spot right now, it would be, yeah, Corrombetti, Norgani Dewasi and, and Wright. Um, and then on the bench, well, you know, we're talking six, two splits, five, three splits. Um, the halfback decision as, as we keep going on is, you know, throw the three guys up and see which one lands closest to you. And that's probably the way it's going to go. Um, I know they've each got their strengths and, and weaknesses. Um, and then you're probably looking for a, for an inside back, um, there as well as someone in the outside back. So, Look, I guess the big thing, as you were alluding to with the locks slash number six position, is that there's the depth's really there. And we spoke about this last year that the obviously it was injury forced um, with that horror toll the Wallabies had under Dave Rennie. Um, I think they, what was it, 52 players or something they ended up using for the year, something extraordinary like that. So, um, look, and there hasn't really been the big injuries this year, have you? I mean, a few guys have missed a handful of weeks um, and some are probably on that next tier down of you think of the longer term, like Tane Edmed is certainly at the top of that list, um, probably not coming into Wallaby's calculations, but a few guys like that, but Australia so far, um, which is great. And in, as we mentioned with New Zealand earlier in the year, you don't want to see anyone miss a world cup because it is, you know, such a, a big, uh, well, the biggest tournament in the game, isn't it? So uh, look, yeah, fantastic to see. And and I don't know what they're going to pick for the rugby championship. You would think probably that 35, 36 number potentially um, with an eye on having to get it down to th- what 33 for, for the World Cup. Um, going to be a fascinating sort of final uh, closing weeks of, of super rugby season. And perhaps 
you know, performances in the playoffs. If the Waratahs can get in there and and do something special on the on the road, might boost a couple of their players' chances. Equally, the Brumbies um, won't want to get in there and and lose at home in a quarter or even a semi if they can still get that. So, um, Brucey, what do you, know, what do you it, It's setting it up, isn't it? With it, just speaking about finals, and yeah, we're on the well, you know, on the cusp of it with two matches to go, but. With the Brumbies currently in a third and the Waratahs in sixth, well, wouldn't that be something if, if the Waratahs would go to go down the Hume Highway to take on the Brumbies? There'd be a few scores to be settled and I wouldn't mind getting on the phone to Matt Nobbs to see whether or not he's got anything else to say to try to get a few more hunters down. Well, the, I think you and I'll have to jump in the car, mate, and head down for that if that turns out to be the case. All uh, right, I'm, I'm happy to do that. You'll be driving if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm always driving, mate. A couple of trips to Wollongong spring to mind. Anyway, we're getting uh, getting sidetracked here. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, really, you know, um, amazing defensive effort from the Waratahs, wasn't it, to beat the Drew? Are they still right in the the contest for that eighth position? They've got two games to come at home, uh, and certainly you'd fancy them beating the Reds. Uh, sorry, Moana this week, and then the Reds the final round. Um, there's potentially eight, maybe nine, ten points. You'd think the Drew are uh, capable of of getting, and that would be enough to get them into the into the finals. Um, and I think you you know on the balance of things, you'd probably think that they've been a little bit of a stronger team than the Reds. Certainly the Reds this year. Um, I guess before we wrap up Super Rugby completely, I mentioned the Rebels. Um, heartbreak again for them uh, in in Dunedin. Look, I guess it's the one thing that they they must take from this season, and they're not out of the race either. Although they've got, they'd have to beat the Force, and then um, I'm not sure who they've got final round. Oh, they've got the Brumbies away. The Brumbies away. That's it. So that's going to be tough um, for next year if they don't make the finals. That um, they've been so close this year, and it's about taking that next step up. They'll obviously have Taniela Tupu next year, potentially Lucan Talakai Loto as well. Um, the makings is the young backline has performed. This year, although it looks like Moni Yuani might be headed back to to Europe. Um, the other one that 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 there's some whispers about Matt Phillip potentially over to Canon in Japan, but the other one, Trevor Hosea, on right, yeah, could be going up to Suntory too as well. So, yeah, there's a couple of guys going out, but there's some big big inclusions to come in. What I think is great about the Rebels in 2023 is for once we're their words are being shown out in the field. You know, they're, they're letting their actions do the talking for once, which is really pleasing to see. And the narrative has changed from a shame rugby doesn't necessarily have depth for five sides and the Rebels shouldn't have a team to the Rebels are actually now the most one of the most exciting Australian yep. teams to, to watch. And that is the pleasing element of the Rebels' development that no, no longer are we talking about whether or not they should have a team. It's about, hang on, let's watch this side because they're playing fast and fearless rugby, which is pleasing on the eye. As you say, it's now converting those narrow losses into victories. And and, and the coaching staff certainly know that. I hope the players know that. And and I hope that the couple of guys that they come in bring in, they're X-factor players, game-breaking players. And you hope that... that it's not another false dawn with those guys. The Rebels have had big name players in the past come, but they've probably been closer to the end of the career or at crossroads in their careers, like a James O'Connor was back in, you know, that 2013 period and, and similarly with, with Kirtland Deal as well. So um, big things for them ahead, but I like the fact that they've got stability in their coaching structure going forward. That's a really, really big thing, I think. And you compare that to the Reds, don't know who the coach is for 2024. Uh, we know that Simon Cron wasn't able to land his big name guys that he wanted this year. The Reds are likely to have a bit of pain next year, I imagine, because they can't necessarily hit the recruitment like they would because they've missed that. And it doesn't help by not having a coach who already set in stone. Excellent point. Excellent point. Um, a little bit disappointing, I thought, from their perspective. They couldn't quite set up for that drop goal there at the finish. And perhaps yeah. that was... Uh, um, a result of not having Carter Gordon out there uh, on the uh, weekend. It was it was a big big miss. They had you know uh, multiple opportunities to kind of set up around that twenty to thirty meters out and at least take a shot um, instead of you know shifting it probably too wide out towards the fifteens on on either side of the posts. And I think they had claims for a penalty there with Nareki dragging. I think it was Joe Pincus 
along. Um, but, you know, that's sometimes how it goes at the breakdown. And we saw a few minutes later, that's exactly what happened when uh, Richard Hardwick, who has just been magnificent in, in those scenarios all season, gets one that goes the other way. So, as we mentioned, another heartbreak for the Rebels. But, um, yeah, you can't help but be impressed by what they've shown. And it's certainly not done and dusted just yet. Um, all right, mate. I, obviously, two, I guess, big finals over the last seven days, not just in, you know, in terms of international um, club and provincial rugby, but from an Australian perspective as well with uh, the European Champions Cup, as we mentioned, won by La Rochelle over Leinster, I think 27-26. To me, that felt like kind of a game that had a real World Cup kind of knockout feel to it. It was big. It was physical. It was brutal. Um, There was some patches of brilliant attacking play. Um, a bit of you know cat and mouse at times in terms of the kicking game, some yellow card drama. Um, it was it was a top quality game of footy, um, and of course at the heart of it for La Rochelle were, was Will Skelton, um, a bloke who hasn't always you know convinced um, supporters or, or pundits or journalists, one in particular back here in Australia for a long while, but a second. Second or third European crown? Um, I think it might even be a fourth. Like, it's definitely a third. He's won the last two and he won one of the Saracens as well. So it might have been two. One or two, one, one or two premierships with, with Saracens as well. Um, he's been nominated for European Player of the Year a couple of times. Um, and to me, the big takeaway I had that he was jumping at number two in the lineout, um, jumping at the front there. So the criticism of him not being a lineout option. Now, obviously, he's not going to be the most explosive kind of Nick Frost kind of jump into the air and probably isn't going to hit that height. But um, I mean, certainly his resume alone um, makes it very difficult for for him not to be, you know, included in a ghetto law conversations. And we've spoken about it. We think it's probably likely not just going to be three players from outside Australia. It's looking like it could be five. And then when you factor in Bernard Foley leading Kubota um, to victory over uh, Robbie Deans' Panasonic Wild Knights, who, of course, have been such the, the dominant team in, in the top league in Japan for, for years now. Um, that's also got to help his cause. I think was the leading point scorer for the season. Um, these are timely results for these two players, aren't they? And um, I, I think certainly we're going to see them in the rugby championship. And who knows when we'll get a decision around this Gitto law. But everything we've heard from Hamish McLennan and Eddie Jones this year suggests that, you know, are we likely to see... Uh, five players um, from overseas head to France as part of that 33-man squad? I, I think you have to. I think you have to. And and people will ask, hang on a moment, why do you need two tens coming back? What is the point of that? What a waste. What a lack of development. What a slap in the face of pathways. What about Carter Gordon? What about Noah Lois? So, you know, uh, really, there, there's two guys that are out and out proven performers on the international stage. And that's Quade Cooper and it's and it's Bernard Foley. And we know that history tells you that World Cups are won by experienced tents. And as good as Carter Gordon has been, and I think there's still claims for him to go as a third 10. Agreed. Uh, I, I don't think that you can leave out a Quade or a Bernard. The only situation where that happens is one of them's on standby and if anything was to happen to the, the one selected, that the other goes straight in. But I just get the feeling, of, as you say, that four to five will be chosen. I had a couple of discussions with RA people today um, and it's fair to say discussions are being taken place at the moment. You know, the rugby championship is about six weeks away. Yep. So I'm, it's now getting to that point of time, that point of decision of going, yeah, we've got to um, we, we've got to roll the dice, and it was about nine, eight years ago where Michael Checker, you know, brought it out at the last kind of minute, just before the TRC, that Matt Gitto and Drew Mitchell were going to be included, and uh, we then we saw Kane Douglas and Dean Mum as well, currently at the time, but also came back um, get caught out too. So I can I can see that happening and I think it should happen. I think Will Skelton definitely is a must. He'd be in my my first three that I pick if it just remained three. Um but back Samu Karevi, good to see him back. He and Quade Cooper are going to be combining at 10 and 12 for the barbarians yeah. this week. And Harry Hawking on the other side of the equation. Um Morica Corabetti going to be featuring as well. So lots going on in the international world. But I think Bernard Foley is the one who's going to attract a bit of um, 
criticism and you divide opinion that the guys got 70 odd tests, came back on a whim last year to play against the All Blacks when he had been in New York just a couple of weeks earlier. I wasn't physically near the condition that he needed to be, but still fronts up and he's very close to guiding the Wallabies to a, a historic victory over New Zealand down in Melbourne. He's a guy that was picked in 2019 when he probably shouldn't have been, and he was thrown in the deep end up with very, very little match practice under his belt, and that's a crucial element of the puzzle. I'm going to throw it out there now that I think Foley will start against the Springboks in Pretoria, and I don't think Quaid will, but I think Quaid will be the preferred first-choice option come the World Cup, and I think that is looming as something that might occur because... Quaid just hasn't had enough match practice. And the more for forward sure. um, training, getting up to match speed, the better. But I also think that why why, why take your, your ace out right now? Why against the spring box? We, we know that he can beat the box. He's beaten them twice. We haven't seen what he can do against the All Blacks. And we know that there's going to be a really quick turnaround. Uh, I think it's about a five or six-day turnaround between the first and second rugby championship. So uh, that's why I can just see Quaid rolling up the next week against Argentina. Yeah, and fascinating. I guess those guys now, the focus is they've got a, a Quaid and, and Samu. Um, obviously, they'll, they'll get the reps with uh, one game at least with that um, that World 15, sorry, the Barbarians against the World 15. Um, but but Bernie, I guess, has just got to you know keep training, really, hasn't he? And it's not like he's going to come back and, and play for Sydney Uni or or anything like that. Um, he, he's got to stay stay fit. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And what, what I was also going to say about La Rochelle, geez, it was good to game to watch. Uh, and I watched the first half before going. I need to go to sleep if I'm with any chance of rolling up in the first tee on Sunday morning. But Perua Perbalo. I know he's not going to get picked unless there was an injury crisis at halfback just because of uh, the fact that not only is he in all black, but uh, he's he's playing overseas, currently in France. Clearly, he's not coming back to an Australian Super franchise. But in a different world, this I think he's from Darwin, spent quite a few years in Australia. I don't think there would be a better... Australian eligible halfback than Kerbalo at the moment. He is unbelievable and playing some of the best rugby I've ever seen him play too. I think there would be outrage against that selection though, wouldn't there, from an Australian perspective? And I, in all seriousness, we're not going to see it happen unless, as you say, there were multiple injuries there, perhaps, um, you know, even down to, you'd think, three would have to go down before it might happen. But um, I don't think that was what the, you know, the world rugby laws were were changed for some people no. argue that not for guys like Jack Dempsey either, but um, this is the situation we, we find ourselves in, uh, but you're right. Uh, he had a fantastic game. Um, yeah, any number of players on, on both sides, aren't there was chockers for probably guys who would come into consideration for at least the first and second world 15s on, on any given day. Um, heartbreak for Leinster, as you mentioned, they miss what was looking like a, um, a double, um, it's not going to happen. They're going to walk away with no silverware this year, um, which is a blow for them. Um, but certainly missing Johnny Sexton for virtually since the Six Nations, I think it's been, hasn't it? He's, he's been put in cotton wool. Um, and there's another discussion point for, for all those Irish podcasts out there, I'm sure, covering it week to week. Um, all right, mate. Uh, yeah, obviously I watch this space with that one and, and something to keep an eye on, as we mentioned, with injuries and, and everything else in the background form and and depth and as we we close in on the finals and then the rugby championship because yes things big things are creeping up aren't they um just before we we wrap up this week i guess um wallaroos uh great to see them get an early test in this year i thought the double header concept was was fantastic um of course i've got a standalone game i think the first one against the black ferns up there at um the home of the Dolphins KO Stadium uh, in the NRL. I think that's the end of June, maybe June 26th yeah. or 11th, something like that, um, before they then move into um, the uh, the Pacific Four and, and World 15, depending on where they um, where they finish in that Pacific Four tournament. But, um, geez, Ash Masters, wasn't she a revelation moving from yeah. Hooker there at the Rebels to, to six? Um, she was fantastic. I thought Eva Kapani... In usually comes off the bench her first start for a lot certainly that I've seen for a long while 
was brilliant there. Her carry in the midfield was sensational. Um, Karis Dallinger, her debut, a little bit patchy. She hasn't got a great kicking game, as she probably needs to work on on that one. But, you know, just a, as I mentioned, a, a great way for the Wallaroos to get their season up and running and continue that momentum from the World Cup last year where they made the quarters after two good wins over Scotland and Wales in the pool on the back of a fantastic Super fifth, sorry, Super W competition where the standard went up, you know, three or four notches without any trouble, didn't it? Two really closely fought semifinals and Waratahs getting dusted by the Fijian Drua. So, um, mate, you were out there. Anything else I haven't covered off there that you really caught your eye? I think you know, even even Cecilia Smith there. I think scoring that that opening try that was a that was a good one there in the, in the midfield. Um, but you're right, Ash Masters was brilliant, and and what a inspired decision to move her from hooker into the back row. And it's not like she's a spring chicken either. She's 29, and we've always spoken about the fact that there's quite a few hookers that turn into back rollers. Well, I remember we'll, we'll the- go the other way. Yeah, I remember the discussions when people were saying, hang on a moment, can David Pocock throw the ball? Um, can, can he be the line-out thrower? And uh, look, that, yeah, well done to, to the Wallaroos. And it sets up a really um, important important month in front of them to get right, get their, you know, get the miles and the legs because uh, they've got this, pack, this new Pack 4 kind of series coming on where they're going to be playing New Zealand, Canada, United States, um, important that that the women's side continues its development leading into the World Cup in 25. Shannon Parry got through the 80 minutes. She was stoked to have done that. I think she was a bit relieved as well um, in her final game. But really lovely scenes to see her carried off on her, on, on her teammates' shoulders and a, a woman that's given so much of her life to rugby but also inspired another generation. Uh, and... and you know, Piper Duck, um, and now the, the new Wallaroos captain that was announced shortly after Harry's uh, you know, announcement to just step down. But she's she she seems like she's the perfect candidate for that role as well. Really articulate, well spoken, people yep. um, can relate to her, appreciate her, appreciate her journey. And um, she's coming back from a from an injury herself, it was pretty. It was pretty cool to see her kind of come in on a little scooter last week with the announcement. But um, she'll have a big role to play in in the months and years to come for this Wallaroo side. But first, first, first kind of big tip for them this year, and and and, and quite a few to come. And um, fair play to them, and, and we'll be watching them with interest because uh, you know the the women's game. It's it's. It's starting to get more traction and it's important it does though. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the sevens integration kind of goes on in the years to come as well. Won't be ne- necessarily next year with, with both the men and the women now qualified for the Olympics, but um, it's a big one going forward. Yeah, certainly. Um, they probably left a couple of tries out there, I think, and, and you can put that down to a, a week's preparation. You never need to come out and be absolutely humming from, from the opening whistle in your first test of the year, are you, when you're bringing in players from um, around the country? But, um, yeah, 17-5, no doubt. A good win uh, to get things going. Uh, mate, you mentioned the sevens there, uh, the men joining uh, the Aussie women in qualifying uh, for Paris next year, which is just a, a huge result for for that team, uh, for John Menenti. I spoke to him back just before I went on parental leave, actually, and before, I think, uh, with Hong Kong into Singapore and then this final doubleheader Toulouse into London and he was kind of like, yeah, if we can keep getting through to that semis, um, semi-final, quarter-final kind of picture or at least finishing fifth or, or whatever. Now, they made hard work of it last cool. night, didn't they? I I watched the game against Fiji and then and then missed the other two because I was a little bit nervous. My brain was still going to be functioning on the first day back today. So, um, but yes, they were made to sweat. Obviously, Samoa got through to the semis and then uh, were beaten by a last gas try, I think, from Argentina. Um, who denied them 10-7 and then the Aussies just need to beat Great Britain um, after that, uh, which they did comprehensively um, to uh, to yeah, to rescue their hopes of automatic qualification. Um, now, they probably would have qualified given that would have been Samoa who would have gone in front of them had they not worked out and, and those two being in the Oceania region, uh, obviously one out, one in sort of thing is, and Fiji are obviously already qualified as well. So you'd think now that Samara are probably 
Um, we favoured to come out of that a regional qualifier, probably, I guess, late this year or early next year. Um, but it just allows, as John Manetti was telling me, to to plan out the year. You can plan training camps in and around the series next year, uh, where they're going to be, um, perhaps a few regional games like we have seen the Oceania series uh, in the past at, um, before you know the 23-24 season gets going later in the year. Um, it's just the the benefits of that, everything that goes with that, isn't it? Now, knowing what the next 12 months look like and saying, yep, we're going to be there then, here then, everywhere else on the calendar, um, it's a really big result for them, isn't it? Oh, huge. And you're right, the heart rate would have been pretty high, I can imagine, for Johnny Manetti on the side. You could see the heartbreak for when they lost against France and it was a pretty miraculous last try, some good efforts there. I think it was Nathan Lawson almost trying to, tackle the, the French winger into touch, but um in in the in the cup quarter final, I think it was. Um uh yeah, great, great, great result for them. And and in talk about planning, it's not just that kind of planning, but it's also who do we look at to try to strengthen the squad and is there some super players? Is there the odd NRL player? I think Michael Hooper is, is going to be the number one target. I, I understand really? he's he's very keen to to, to switch over, um, and it would not surprise me. And he he would he would, would that be would that be Christy a complete switch? Like are we about to see Michael Hooper play his final games for the Waratahs and commit himself yes. to obviously a World Cup campaign? But then next year or even later this year, the sevens um, set up completely. Yeah, my understanding is that he his Waratahs days will be done at the end of this season, and he might have actually cooled a little bit on a big deal in Japan. Uh, the Olympics is something that would be of supreme interest to him. But also, I think as well, the fact that the, the program currently is based in Sydney, uh, not too far away from home, uh, tournament-based, uh, it's it's something that can help set you up later in life as well. Um, probably not as... H- HSBC, love and ambassador. Oh yeah, but it's not as it's not probably not as physical. And for a bloke who's been putting his head in rucks for for you know 13, 14 years at the top level, to go into a seven setup, which would be less contact on the body, probably from a he's a guy that's had a couple of concussions as well. I think that also is another factor in it that this is a, a, a you know it's a it's clearly a very fast physical style of rugby but it's something that might perhaps suit him a bit better going into this path but he'd be huge from a leadership perspective he'd be good at the breakdown and you'd just have a massive work rate and engine and i think he'd be the ideal target but other people like tim anstey of course corey tool yep. we know darby lancaster's had a brilliant brilliant season himself wouldn't surprise me those guys but even a max jorgensen if you're not going to play him for the wallabies He'd be a guy that you'd seriously consider having that exposure, giving him that opportunity to at least compete for a spot. You're not necessarily transforming your team, but you're thinking about two to three guys, I reckon, and Michael Hooper, I would think, would be one of them. There you go. Just um, I would cap a, an amazing career. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised that perhaps this is cooled a little bit on a, on a big deal in, in Japan. It's um, a few things going on in that space. Uh, but uh, yeah, it would be fantastic to see him line up uh, in the Olympics next year. And isn't that going to be some tournament in Paris? I'll tell you what, uh, you'd be doing well to uh, to get through to the semifinals of that one in the men's draw because uh, she's one hot competition. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you consider as well, even someone like an Antoine Dupont, the French captain at the moment, putting his hand Same up. That, yeah. Interested. So uh, look, New Zealand would do it. Everyone's going to be doing it. There's no reason why Australia shouldn't either. And um, if you're, it's about making a statement. If you're going to, you can't just be there. Australia's been to a couple of men's Olympics, 2016, 2020, well, 20, technically 21, uh, and they've fallen short. The idea of winning, of bringing home a medal is, is not just of huge importance um, from an individual perspective, but from a program perspective, from funding, from allocation, from uh, the Australian government, all those sorts of things. It, it, that's why it's important to uh, to go well at the Olympics. Tell me, does the raw travel budget extend into an Olympic Games? Or? <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it, if it, if it would, but uh, it'll be 
you know, you imagine that that might be played at a start de France and that'll be packed and 80,000 or whatever it is there. We'll find out later on in the year. Um, there, there's so much to look forward to. And it's uh, off the back of France pulling out of their support of the Rugby League World Cup of hosting that in 25, another shot in the arm for, for rugby because really it, it kind of goes to show that one is a very much a global event and one, unfortunately, from a rugby league perspective anyway, isn't it? So um, that's all the ammunition that someone like a Hamish McLennan would want. And I'm, I dare say he would have had a slight giggle uh, at the thought that, that that the rugby league host of 25 had pulled out. But um, fair play to John Menenti's side. It's great that they'll be joining the women um, they looked like they were having a good time celebrating it at Twickenham over the weekend, supporting their male colleagues. Um, but a time for a, a whirlwind break, I think, for the Sevens teams. Absolutely. I will say I was happy to see PVL and Hamish probably give things uh, a week or two off there through about two or three weeks into my parental leave. I think uh, I, along with our, a few others, might have just had enough of that. But, uh, yes, on the flip side, and maybe all roads lead to Qatar for the Rugby League. World Cup. Um, I don't, not sure they actually have a national union at the moment, but um, yes, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be something for the uh, the 13 player code? Uh, watch this space. It may well end up uh, in New Zealand and Australia. And uh, we've seen that once or twice before. Uh, mate, all right. I think that's, um, that's pretty good. Uh, my brain has managed to survive this first outing. Um, just another shout out again to yourself and to Britt and to Lockie for doing such a fantastic job. While I've been away, um, really enjoyed the pods. Uh, stoked to be back. Um, great timing, as I said. It's, it's really, I think it's refreshed me from a, a rugby perspective. I don't know how you're going at this point in the year, but um, so much to look forward to over the coming weeks with the Super Rugby Finals and then a couple of weeks off before the Rugby Championship gets going. Uh, and it struck me that, yeah, June's just around the corner, uh, which means the, uh, the test season is too. So fantastic to be back and uh, great to chat with you again. Good to join you and uh, I'm glad you had that break because you'll have needed it with uh, the next six months ahead of us both, but particularly all the rugby and you as a father. So um, congratulations and uh, look forward to next week. Absolutely. Thanks, team. We'll talk to you then. <laughs>